0: Welcome to this week's Think Jewish, and I'd like to start off by thanking our sponsor for the refreshments, Jacob Schroeder. Thank you very, very much. And this week's Torah portion is Parshas Vaera. So let's first see what the Torah portion is simply talking about. The Torah portion begins in middle of a conversation. So let's go back. Last week, God tells Moses go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go and as you know the original it wasn't let my people go period it was let my people go for three days into the desert to be able to bring sacrifices and then so forth and so on so what happens the outcome is that Moses goes and says to Pharaoh let my people go and Pharaoh says oh you have thoughts of vacation that must be ki nirpim atem nirpim. You have too much time on your hand. You're not working enough, so we gotta make it a little more difficult, so you won't have time to have such foreign thoughts of going on vacation. And that's when Pharaoh tells the Jewish people that the quota of your building is to remain the same. And nevertheless, till now, until now, the Egyptians supplied the Jewish people with the mortar. And the bricks and from here on you will have to make your own mortar and your own bricks and nevertheless you're to keep your quota of what you were doing until now the Jewish people come out and they tell Moses may God judge you for making us bad in the eyes of Pharaoh it was bad enough before you came and you made it worse for us and last week's Torah portion ends with Moses questioning God la Why have you done bad to this people? And true, true, for those of you who know, the chapters and the verse numbers were not done by Jews. But nevertheless, we use it today in all Jewish literature. When we quote something, we quote it by chapter and verse. We even extrapolate mystically from what chapter it is. But it wasn't made by Jews. But if you look at something interesting, last week's Torah portion ended with chapter 6, verse 1. Because it began the answer that God told Moses. This week's Torah portion is verse 2 of the answer, of the reply. And what is the reply? The reply is, Va'era el Avraham el Yitzchak El Yaakov, I have revealed myself, I have appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the name Kael Shakai. You're familiar with the name Shakai. Obviously, I'm saying a K instead of a D. It's actually S-H-A-D-D-A-I. You're familiar with it because that's the famous name on your mezuzah, the big shin there. Kael Shakai. Again, Kael, I'm saying a K instead of an A because we don't say any of God's names. So, it says in the verse that I have appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with the name Kael shakai However, Ushmi-Havaya, the tetragrammaton, the ineffable name of the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, I have not made known to them. Okay. We're going to focus just on that verse. We have a couple of things we need to understand. Number one, look in Genesis and you'll clearly see that in the revelation from God to Abraham and to Jacob, there are times where it uses the ineffable tetragrammaton. It doesn't just use the name Elohim. It doesn't just use the name Kael. It doesn't just use the name Shakai. It actually says Vayomer, what we pronounce today, A-D-O-N-A-I. But that's not the real pronunciation as we discussed in the past. It's the ineffable tetragrammaton. So, the question, the first question that's, que- that's asked in Kabbalah and the teachings of Hasidus is, What are you saying that the ineffable tetragrammaton you did not make known to them? If you look in Genesis, it clearly we use that name in Revelation to Abraham and to Jacob. Number one. Number two, what's that? How does that answer the question? Moses asked the question, Lama Why have you made it worse for the Jewish people? And God gives him a whole speech that to Abraham I did not reveal the name, the ineffable name, only the lower names of Cale and Shakai. Therefore what? Therefore what? So we have to understand the answer. Which leads us to question number three. Why is it in all the teachings we are taught that the Jewish people could not receive the Torah at Mount Sinai? before they went through the suffering and slavery and persecution of Egyptian exile. Which leads us up to our question in phase two. Same question. Why is it that we're taught in the teachings of Hasidus that the revelation of the mystical teachings of the Torah that Mashiach is going to teach us, we can't have before we go through this long and dark and suffering exile why where's the logic you can't have divine revelation until you suffer and you're persecuted what's the connection so we have three simple questions here on the opening verse number one why do you say that you did not reveal to them the ineffable tetragrammaton if we clearly see that you did throughout the book of genesis Number two, even if you didn't, how does that answer the question? God's answering Moses. What's the answer? And number three, why is it that the teachings tell us that we have to go through suffering before we get the revelation of Mount Sinai, and so too with the inner layer of Mount Sinai, which is the revelation of the secrets of the Torah, which Mashiach is going to reveal to us. We have to go through all this suffering, and such a longer suffering. Okay, these are three questions. And to understand this, we're going to turn to a very deep and revolutionary mystical teaching of the Rebbe of blessed memory, which he taught on this Shabbos in 1968. Okay, so now you know where we're heading. And now we detour. That's the way it works in the teachings of Chassidus. You ask questions, you detour to understand our mystical teaching, and then you come back and see how all of a sudden, Everything falls into place. So, one of the great philosophical questions, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The Talmud answers that question. The Talmud clearly says that everything was created in its mature state. The tree was not created a sapling or a seed. The human was not created an infant or an embryo. And the chicken was not created an egg. Everything was created in its full mature state. So that answers the philosophical question about which came first, the chicken or the egg. However, Kabbalah has a different question. Which came first, the vessel or the light? Now this question actually is not philosophical. It's actually very practical. Because if the vessel came before the light, then the light was never allowed to be its full true self. Because the light was created and formed in a shape that it can fit into the vessel. So if I'm creating the light after the vessel, I'm creating the light to be equal to the vessel. However, if I first created the light, then I allow the light to be true unto its own self, and then I create a vessel to fit. So this isn't a philosophical question. It's actually a very practical question. This becomes super practical when we realize that the light that we're talking about is the divine wisdom of Torah, and the vessel that we're talking about is the human mind. So if the human mind is the vessel of, which is here to absorb the light of the Torah then this conversation isn't just about the abstract supernal world it's very practical the way it manifests itself in our daily life of studying Torah and through studying Torah becoming one with God for it is God's wisdom and God's will which is placed into the Torah Okay? So this is not at all a philosophical pursuit. It's a very practical pursuit. And we're going to see how it unfolds. We're going to get more Kabbalistic and then get very practical. Okay? So, (sighs) the answer to this Kabbalistic question of which came first, the vessel or the light, is actually understood through the Kabbalistic insight to a Talmudic discussion. And I want to read to you this piece of Talmud. I'll read it to you directly in English. It comes from Mesech Te Shabbos, Tractate Shabbos, page 77, side B. And I read to you. Rab Zera met Rab Yehuda, standing by the door of his father-in-law's house, and saw that he was in a cheerful mood. And if he would ask him all the secrets of the universe, he would disclose them to him. He accordingly asked him, why do goats march at the head of the flock and then sheep? So I just want to stick in here a Rashi. Rashi tells us that the question is that goats have color, they're dark, while sheep are white. Now you'll understand the answer to the question. Said he to him, Rabbi Yehuda answered, Rabbi it is as the world's creation Darkness preceding and then light. Let me explain to you over here what he means. When you look in the book of Genesis, what does it say? Vayihi Erev Boker. And it was the eve, the evening, darkness, and then it says it was the light. So because in creation darkness comes before light, so too in the way the animals leave the barn, The dark goats walk before the white sheep. (laughs) So obviously you look at this Gemara and you're like, what? He saw that he's going to reveal to him all the secrets of the universe. So he used this great opportunity to find out the biggest secret that bothered him. (laughs) What was the biggest secret that bothered him? Why when the animals leave the pen, the dark goats walk before the white sheep. However, In the world of Kabbalah, this Talmudic discussion is to be taken very literal that this is the secrets of the universe. Because according to Kabbalah, the dark goats represent the vessels and the white sheep represent the light. And thus, Rabbi Yehuda really did reveal the secrets of the universe to Rabbi Zerah that you should know. That the ve- the universe was created such that the dark vessels came before the light. A Gemara. A Kabbalistic interpretation to the Gemara. Let's move forward. The big question is for any of you that studied Hasidus and dabbled with the deeper teachings you'll see that in the teachings of Kabbalah, in all the worlds, all the worlds, the four lower worlds, Atilos, Briatir and in the higher world of Akudim, what we call dots, There's over there Akudim, the Kudim, Brudim, it's all a play of what happened with Jacob when he was manipulating the DNA of the sheep, if you remember. There was the stripes and the sparks in the Kabbalah, that's all primordial worlds. So if you read all the teachings about that, you'll see that in every single teaching of Kabbalah, there is the agreement that the light comes before the vessel. So what am I telling you that from this Gemara, this piece of story in the Talmud, Rabbi Yehuda revealed the secrets of the universe to Rabzeira, that you should know that the reason why physically the goats walk before the sheep Is because physically in Genesis, there was darkness before light. Because in the spiritual evolution of creation, there was darkness vessels before light. It all makes beautiful sense, but a little problem. We got to check our facts. According to all the teachings in Kabbalah, in all the worlds, and the primordial worlds, it was always light before darkness, light before vessels. Thus... We now realize that the secret of the universe that Rabbi Yehuda taught Rabbi Zera was not the way it manifests itself in the actual evolution of the creation of the worlds. Rather, it's the way creation was hidden in the bosom of Creator. What does that mean? Very simple. What it means is the first vision that arose in the infinite will of God when he wanted to create worlds was first the finished product of the vessel. From there, he then went on to envision the entire spiritual evolution of the light. So even though in the actual delivery of creation, the light always comes before the darkness, The light comes before the vessel, but you should know that in the bosom of the creator, in the original vision, in the infinite will of God, what arose in his will was the physical world, the vessel. Then after he had that vision in his infinite will, he then went on to go ahead and do all the spiritual evolution of the light and all the world's ascending and contractions until we have the minute light that actually manifests itself in this world. By the way, you people sing this every single Shabbat. In your one of the stanzas says, Sof The finishing action was what arose originally in his will. That means that it is true that in the bosom of the Creator pre-creation, the impetus from where it all started, there was first the vessel and then after that the light. However, in the actuality of it all, he first created the light and then the vessel. Okay? So we're with me until here. Okay. To understand this, we're going to use the metaphor that's used in Kabbalah and in Hasidus. And what is that? That is the metaphor of a teacher and a student. What is the metaphor of the teacher and the student? So first of all, we need to understand that in Kabbalah, when we talk about the teacher and the student, we're not talking about that the teacher is the teacher because he has biological years over the student nor are we talking about because he has more accumulative data than the student. In the world of Kabbalah, when we talk about the teacher and the student, we're talking about Moses and Joshua. We're talking about the actual magnitude of the capacity of the teacher, just his paradigm, is exponentially far infinitely greater than the student. His paradigm is infinitely different than the student. For example, let's talk about in the what we're talking about Moses. Moses is called what? Moshe Rabbeinu. What does simply Rabbeinu mean? Our teacher. What defines the teacher? What defines the teacher is that in the student's world, the physical nature is a reality. It's tangible. It's practical. The divine is the abstract. However, by Moses, what was the reality? By Moses, the tangible, practical reality was the divine. The abstract was the physical. You remember which Torah portion we always read, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur time? What does it say there? Hazinu Shomayim Oretz. What does that mean? Hazinu comes from the word ozen. Let me whisper into your ear. So when by Moses, when he spoke to heaven... That's where he was. So therefore for him it was whispering into the ear. When he spoke to the earth, and hear from a distance. Because in the reality of the teacher, his paradigm is that the tangible practical truth is the divinity of everything. The abstract is the physical manifestation of that divinity. By the students, it's the exact opposite. By the student, the physical manifestation is the reality. And from here, we try to extrapolate what's going on in the abstract divine. So understand that when we talk about the teacher and we talk about the student, we're not talking about the type of teacher and student that you and I are used to. We're talking about the infinitely different paradigm. Now that you understand how infinitely different the paradigm and the capacity between the teacher and the student is, now we have to ask the most obvious question. If the teacher's capacity and paradigm of thinking is so infinitely greater than the student, then how can the teacher ever teach the student? And how can the student ever learn from the teacher? If you want to tell me that the teacher and the student are actually alike, it's just that the student is 12 years old. The teacher is 40 years old. The student only knows five books of Moses. The teacher already knows all the Medrash and the Talmud. Then it makes sense. We're in the same brave went, Now all I have to do is teach you what you don't know. But if I'm telling you that according to Kabbalah, the difference between the teacher and the student is not how much they know. It's a total different paradigm infinitely different in the world of kabbalah one of the huge differences in the paradigm between the teacher and the student is whether we are ex nihilo or nihilo x are we the something and he's the nothing or is he the something and we're the nothing right there you have the ultimate infinite difference between the teacher's paradigm and the student's paradigm so thus, the student is not capable of absorbing any teaching of the teacher. As finite as the, te- as, the, as the teaching will be, it's still the finite piece of the infinite which the student cannot swallow intellectually. So now let's ask the question, how can there be a true relationship between Moses, our teacher, and us, the student. What can Moses tell us that we could ever digest? So to understand this, there is the teaching in the Kabbalah that says as follows, and explained at great detail and depth and length in the teachings of Hasidus. What's the first thing the teacher does when he's going to prepare a lecture, a teaching for his student. The first thing he does is he stops thinking as the teacher, finds within himself the student, and once he has the student in mind, he then creates the teaching formed for the student. So once again, you see where it's going? Once again, In a teacher-student relationship, the student, i.e. the vessel, is before the light, i.e. the teaching. And the outcome of that is that the teacher is teaching a teaching that could be absorbed by the student. Thus, we now have somewhat of a picture in our mind of what it means that when in the bosom of the creator, before he even began the light, he envisioned the vessel. And thus what happens after that is that the entire system of the light is being created through, for, and by the vessel. Okay? Okay? As they say, (laughs) speak up now or hold your peace forever. Are you guys with me? Shed, completely shed the Kabbalistic words, vessel, light, infinite, finite. That's just, you know, I got to do that to make it all wow. But the teaching is really simple. You follow what's going on here. Right? If, if, let's talk, you know what, let me make it so practical. What is the salesman focused on, the customer or the product? If the salesman is focused on the customer, so then he's going to present the entire product the way the product can be helpful and absorbed and used and benefited by the customer. But if the salesman is so caught up in his product that he's not even listening to the to the customer he's so busy telling me no 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 you don't get it this isn't even the tip of the iceberg what happens there so therefore this is not in my notes but I'm just looking at you people and saying okay let's make this make sense it's the same thing here the first thing that God had envisioned in his infinite will was the end product the customer the Jew doing Torah mitzvot And thus, because the ultimate original vision was of the customer, the entire product was tailored with the customer in mind, and it is the customer that's dictating and directing exactly how this product is being developed. Does that make sense now? Okay? So we're talking about the vessel. The vessel, because the vessel is the original thought it is actually the vessel that's dominating the entire process of the light okay now let's go further the problem is you with me natalie okay i'm serious okay so now let's go back there's one little difference the example and what the example is being used for is not parallel The student existed outside of the teacher. Then the teacher has to teach to the student, which means that the teacher is forced to go ahead and direct his entire product of light, i.e. holy teaching, geared towards the student. Because before he started teaching, The student existed with the student's definition, limitation, paradigm, and capacity. However, by God, it didn't have to be that the vessel existed before the light, and therefore we have to tailor the light for the vessel. God could have first made the light and tailored the vessel to the light. So the metaphor doesn't work. The teacher has no choice. He's forced to do that. He can't just decide, no, let me make a different student. The student is a student. Finished. The student has his paradigm, his way of thinking. He's stuck within his box. And not a teacher has to deal with that. So the teacher's forced to tailor his infinite teachings to fit into the box of the student. However, by Hashem, it's not so... By God, he could have created the vessel very different. It wasn't pre-existing. However, because Kabbalah, which is a part of the Torah, and the Torah is the absolute truth, uses this metaphor, thus we know that this metaphor is the absolute perfect metaphor for what we're trying to discuss. When a human makes up a metaphor, he sometimes just catches one corner. All right, I didn't mean all the details. I just meant this one issue, this one detail, this one factor. That's not the way it works in Torah. Torah is emet. Emet, truth has to fit from all sides. It's that centerpiece of the puzzle. It can not only fit from two sides. Torah has to be absolute truth. And if the Torah says that this is the metaphor for this, it's got to fit perfectly. Therefore, the Rebbe says, we have to revisit and re-examine the metaphor. So, student, teacher, take two. Different than what we thought in take one. You see, in take one, we understood that the only thing the teacher does is transmit the teaching, Because the student is pre-existing to the teaching. And therefore, the student is what the student is. And the teacher, that's what he has to work with. Right? You have that many. I don't know if any of you ever were involved in schools. But I was involved on both sides of the school. I was kicked out as a student and fired as a teacher. So I can tell you both sides of the story. The issue is that many times you tell the teacher, listen, work with what you have. This is what you have. Work with it. That means that you're not changing the student. This is the student. And now work with it. However, in the teachings of Kabbalah, there's a very interesting dynamic. This is the revolutionary part of what the Rebbe is teaching us. In the ultimate teacher-student relationship, not only does the teacher transmit the teaching, but the teacher actually creates the intellectual paradigm and talent of the student, so much so that I want to quote to you the words of Kabbalah: "The chushim haTalmud naasim chushim harav," that the talents, the capacity of the student, becomes like the talents and the paradigm of the teacher. That is an unbelievable statement. Because we started off understanding how they're infinitely different. Now we're saying that the ultimate teacher does not just transmit knowledge. But the ultimate teacher actually creates and develops the paradigm of the student. By the way, I will share with you that the Rebbe, in the most literal, practical sense, has fought for this in the educational system. The Rebbe has fought that the educational system is not supposed to be an academic machine. The job of a teacher is to create a mensch who can live his life. Not a total nothing who's got infinite knowledge of trigonometry. So let's go back to the deeper sense of it. The deeper sense is that Moses is fighting not to just teach us what we can absorb. He's actually fighting to change our paradigm. He's fighting for us also to be able to realize that divinity is practical and nature is an abstract manifestation of that absolute truth. But the problem is how do you do that? Remember what we just said, you tell the teacher, this is what you got, work with it. So here's where we're going with this. According to Kabbalah and according to Chassidus, there is the teaching of the teachings and then there is the teaching in which you create the student. The difference between which teaching is taking place will actually depend upon how the student stands before his teacher. And now let me read to you a law from the Talmud, Tractic Psachim, on page 117a. I read to you, quote, Rab Gidal said in Rab's name, If a scholar sits before his teacher and his lips do not drip anxiety, they shall be burnt. For it is said, his lips are as lilies, shoshanim, the Hebrew word you'll soon see why, dropping with flowing mir Mirror was one of the type of of uh, incense the spice. Now this is what the Gemara does to the word to this to this teaching the verse. It changes the vowels of two of them. Shoshanim means lilies roses. Sheshonim means who study. Okay. More is that beautiful fragrance. Mar means bitter. It also means anxiety. Now let's read it. Read not Shoshanim but Sheshonim, that study. Read not Morabur but marober, dropping anxiety. Now I ask of you a question. Anyone that has and every one of us has tried to study something. You know that dripping with anxiety is the worst state of mind to be when you're trying to engage with something intellectually. It is the worst thing you can do. If you want to engage with something intellectually, you actually have to be in a state of mind where you have that self-respect for your intellectual capacity and you sit down and say, okay, let's digest this. When you sit down to learn You can't be trembling. You pull up your sleeves and you get into it. So if that be the case, how can the Gemara tell us that the only way to learn Torah is if you're standing in front of your teacher while he's teaching you and your lips are dripping with anxiety? You won't be able to study a single thing. You won't be able to absorb intellectually a little a single thing. You know, right? If you ever watch these shows, right? The Million Dollar Question. The one thing the person, when everyone's getting all excited, they're calming themselves down. Because the mind can only work in the calm environment. Not when you're dripping with anxiety. The answer is that this teaching in Psachim is not telling me how I should stand in front of my teacher when I'm trying to understand the intellectual teaching. Rather, it's teaching me that when I stand in front of my teacher, I need to open myself up to him in order that he is able to create my intellectual capacity. In order that he be able to create my paradigm. Later, when I sit down with my chavruta, the one-on-one, then we'll sit with the thumbs flying and questions and answers. But the major part of the teacher is not just to pass me the teaching, but it's to completely blow up and create a whole new paradigm for me. The only way that the teacher can create the intellectual capacity and paradigm of the student is if the student is standing in front of him with absolute, absolute annihilation of self, absolute humbleness, to completely open himself up for his teacher to absolutely recreate him. Again, let's talk practical. Life experiences should have taught each and every one of us that the one conversation you should never have is when you're only listening in order to answer. Or the other person's only listening and only in order to rebuttal you. There's no conversation there. There's an eye against an eye, and you're not going to get nowhere. The one thing you need to really be able to have someone take you out of your box is absolute open-mindedness, which comes from absolute humbleness. Let's just talk practical. Let's not get Kabbalistic now. Practically speaking, if I want you to take me out of my box because I keep on trying and I keep on bumping my head into the wall, So I want you to help me do something that I cannot do on my own. The first thing I have to do is accept that right now I know nothing. I'm just an absolute plain white piece of paper. And I'm asking you to write on that paper. Thus you understand that the ultimate relationship between a teacher and a student is exactly the perfect metaphor. Because it's not about the vessel existing and now being forced to use the light to fit into the vessel. But rather, ultimately speaking, the absolute teacher is the one that's going to completely create a whole new paradigm. Completely ripping open the box of the student and creating a whole new understanding, intellectual capacity, and paradigm of truth and self. Now let's go back. When we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is pre-Torah and there is post-Torah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is pre-Torah. Moses is about to make the change in the history of the world and its relationship with God. He is going to bring down the Torah on Mount Sinai. So let's talk about Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Because it's the vessel that draws the light, here's a very beautiful teaching. The verse says, "Va'yikra Elohim leor, and Elohim called to light. The verse actually says, and Elohim called light day, and right? But the, you know how this works. Kabbalah stops you right where it wants you to because everywhere you stop the Torah and reword it, it's all truth. So it says, Vayikra Elohim Leor and Elohim called to the light. What is Elohim? You people are, are know the difference between the two names the Adnai name, the A D O N I, the ineffable tetragrammaton and the Elohim name. If you add up the word Elohim it equals eighty six. If you add up the word Hateva, it equals eighty six. Because Elokim is nature, it's the vessel. And now we understand the deeper Kabbalistic meaning of this verse. Vayikra elokim leor. Who's the one that calls? Who's the one that brings forth? Who's the one that literally creates light? Is the vessel. Right? Because what did we say? The vessel came before the light. The original vision was the vessel. And then from there, we drew light. So now we understand. That the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were the Elohim which called and drew the light. However, you understand, as great as they were, when vessel calls light, it can only call the light which is within the realm of the vessel. Right? You can only draw forth your capacity. Thus, because they were pre Torah, they, even their tetragrammaton, remember the question? How can you say you never reveal the tetragrammaton if Genesis it says tetragrammaton? So the answer is that the tetragrammaton in Genesis is what we call in Kabbalah the lower tetragrammaton, only the way it closes itself within creation. And thus, ultimately, the Tetragrammaton of, the light of the forefathers, the patriarchs, were actually equivalent to Kel-Shakai. The light, the way it relates to the vessels. Because the vessels call the light, and the vessels have their capacity. Now let's talk about Moses. Can someone please remember what is the opening of the Ten Commandments? I am... The Lord or the God, Tetragrammaton. Your God, Elohim. So what is the revelation of the Torah? It is not the lower Tetragrammaton. It is actually the higher Tetragrammaton, which is supposed to embody and transmit what? The I am of God. The essence of God. So Torah is about to make a huge change. Prior to Torah, even the divinity of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob was only the divinity of the lower tetragrammaton, that which the vessels can reach and grab. Torah comes along and says, no, 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 we're going to change that. We're now going to transmit not the light which relates to the vessels. We're going to now transmit the higher tetragrammaton, which embodies the essence of God, I am. However, there's a problem. How can any finite vessel, you and I, ever receive the higher tetragrammaton of I am? For that to happen, we're gonna need the teacher, capital T, we're gonna need a teacher to completely create, break us out of our box. Remember, the nature is always about what? Survival of the fittest. I am. Ultimately speaking, the very core of nature is I. Correct? Now comes along a whole new teaching. To be able to open up to the I am, the essence of God, we're going to have to have that I, the egocentric, completely ripped open. In order to completely rip that open, what do we have to have? Total Nullification, total humbleness. Now you understand what Moses answered, what God answered Moses. The reason why they're going through this final real suffering is because pre receiving I am, they must experience total nullification. Thus, the ultimate suffering of Egypt was really all about completely ripping ripping apart the I am. It is completely erasing everything from the white paper so that you can be completely open, dripping anxiety before God at the foot of Mount Sinai. Thus, you now understand The true conversation between God and Moses, Moses and God. Moses said, enough, God, they've been through, enough. You sent me to make it better and it got worse? And God says, no, no, no. The reason why it got worse is because I'm going to give them something which demands the total nullification of self. Thus, this last moment, that final crack of the nutshell, is what opens them up so they can stand before me with complete, complete nullification and receive from me the I am. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't need this. They were only relating to the light which fit into the box. Their box was was no small box. But It's the light that fits into the box. Now we're going to experience not the way the light fits into the box, not the bet from Bereshit, but the aleph from Anochi, I am. For that, I need a student to get out of my way and allow me to recreate the whole new paradigm. So much so, now you have to understand what these words mean. Because the teacher is God, you and I are the student. Now listen to these words. Where the talents of the student become like the talents of the teacher. That is the omnipotence of Torah. Where the human creature of egocentrism, I am, completely sheds and allows for the theocentric I am God your Lord. The revelation of this will be in the the teachings of Mashiach. And thus you understand what took 210 years in Egypt is taking close to 2,000 years here. Because even though Egypt led us to the insemination of the I am of God, but it was hidden. What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? Our very flesh We'll see, I am God your Lord. For that, there has to be the absolute nullification of the egocentrism, even of our physical cells. And thus we went through everything that we went through in exile. In closing. In closing. I've spoken to you many times. That in Hasidic yeshivas, regardless of what you're learning, a Mishnah, a piece of Talmud, a Rashi, a Tosvis, you'll always hear the student's voice ring out loud and clear before he utters a word of Torah. Zogter heilige says the holy Mishnah, says the holy Gemara, says the holy Tosvis. Why? What's with the holy stuff? We're here to learn, academics. And the answer is because the focus of the Jew is not academics. The focus of the Jew is to absorb the I am, God, your Lord, in every word of Toys Rashi, Gemara, and everything. And thus this teaching is telling us something amazing. Let me tell you what the Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya. The Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya, that being that it's not physically possible to sit in fear and understand at the same time. So, at least once an hour in studying Torah, you should stop, meditate who the author of the Torah is, meditate what you're digesting when you eat, when you learn the Torah, build up that fear, and then go back to learning. Because that's so important. Zaktad Halige. We don't sit with a homish in our shorts with our feet up on the couch or the coffee table. That you can do your mathematics and biology. You can read world events that way. But when you're learning Torah, we have to remember that we have to stand before God, dripping anxiety, so that God can change our whole paradigm to truly become transparent and one with Him. Thank you very much.